You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2007, and this is your host, Stephen Novella, president of the New England Skeptical Society. Joining me this evening are Rebecca Watson. Hello, everybody. Jay Novella. Hey, guys. Perry DeAngelis. I miss Bob. And Evan Bernstein. <laughs> Happy Ash Wednesday, everybody. It is Ash Wednesday. It is. That's right, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love seeing Always the people forget. with the smudges on their forehead. I just I can't help but giggle. <laughs> I want to walk up to him with a little cloth and kind of just, uh, sir, you have something to say. I don't have plenty but. of Catholics I love, but. Oh, just wait a minute. I probably wore that ash for the first six or seven years of my life. Just slow down there. Bob is on vacation this week, so he is not joining us. Bob took your place in Florida, right, Steve? He did. Yeah. You managed to call in, Steve. Well, you know, what can I say? <laughs> Some people are just more dedicated. Uh, we got a few news items, news items this week. The first one uh, is um, an article about apparently angels being caught on audio tape. Oh, this, this is, is great. This I bet is that they were saying really important things about, you know, the future of the world or, you know, <laughs> peace uh, negotiations in the Mideast because, you know. Yeah, advances cancer. in technology. That's <laughs> what an angel should be doing. How to thwart right? so, evil. So come on, Steve. What, what, what wisdom did the angels bestow upon us? <laughs> I'm so excited. It actually sounded like the uh, opening to 2001 A Space Odyssey when, you, when the obelisk makes its first appearance. <laughs> Oh, you have well, the, um, the chorus of human voices too. singing in the background. That's basically what it sounds like. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. You got to you got to give the guy who wrote the article some credit. At least he had a token skeptic in there. Yeah, but skeptic didn't know anything. <laughs> it's true. So the article is written by by this guy Joe Kovacs who writes for World Net Daily and he's actually an old high school friend of mine who contacted me for this article that he was working on. He did uh, interview me and quote me rather extensively for the article, so at least there is somewhat of a skeptical position represented. Now, this uh, covers the the work of a Jim Bramlett who has collected various um, alleged recordings of a- angelic voices. This is basically, we, we've talked in the past about electronic voice phenomenon, or EVP, which is one type of evidence which is offered for the existence of ghosts. This is the first time I've heard of EVP being offered for as evidence for angels. Now, what these all are, are recordings of people singing in church, and then there's a chorus of, of voices in the background, and it is alleged that the singing was not being done by people who were present in the church at the time the recording was made, that they were angels joining in, spontaneously joining in this, the, uh, the, the holy singing. But Steve, unlike EVP, which is basically you know, turning up the volume on white noise and picking out little subtleties that you might hear in there that could be, that could be mistaken for, for human voice, I mean, you hear singing in the background. Yeah, yeah. I like to stress that because the next thing I want to say is this was obviously faked. Yeah, well, right. This is pure fruad. I mean, this is ridiculous. You listen to these recordings. When you listen to it, one of them is in Chinese. I can't understand anything that they're saying. I mean, I don't know. It's just Chinese people singing in the background. Two of them are just the, the chorus of human voices in the background. One of them, the the alleged angels actually play the, like the tambourine and a horn uh, <laughs> and a guitar. So they, they were jamming. And they get actually, yeah, they do actually get a little funky there towards the middle. Of the, uh, <laughs> so... 
That's called the bridge. It's called Jesus <laughs> Jazz, Evan. Excuse me. Take it to the bridge. What I think is going on, in, and especially that one, is that you know people were using some cheap tape recording equipment to record themselves singing in church, and they probably were using reusing a tape that already had something recorded on it, and it did it incompletely erased it. So now their singing is superimposed upon somebody else singing, you know, some previous recording of some other people uh. singing pretty cheesily. Now, the, I especially say that because they say they didn't hear the angels singing when they made the recording. They only heard them when they played oh, back see. the tape. Yeah, or Steve, or they faked oh, it, boy. or it was delivered. Yeah, I was about to say, Steve, before one of the clips, uh, the pastor or preacher or whoever is is talking about a previous instance where angels were singing along with them, and then they start singing, and oh, they're the angels. So that really struck me as kind of contrived. No, I agree. I'm I think pretty sure we're, that they were faking that. But one. we're talking about yeah, we're talking about different different specific recordings. Yeah. So I think the one with the people playing the instruments that they they didn't notice until after they played it back. That was just mistakenly recording over a prior recording and then just interpreting it as you know, as angelic when it was just art- an artifact of the recording. That's always a huge red flag whenever you don't notice something until you later when you're reviewing the tape or looking at the picture. Which is what happens with all ghost photographs yeah, and recordings. All photos. of them. Yes. Well, how did so they not realize them, that, the, that the angels were playing the Rolling Stones? Well, it's a miracle, yeah. I think they would have noticed yeah. that. <laughs> they're like, is that painted black? They're exp- uh, Steve, you think they're explaining away their fraud via incompetence. No, I think that, that, w- that one case probably was just incompetence. Yeah, yeah I that's think what I'm that saying. The other case, is, the, the, one of the other cases, now this was you know, at the beginning of the recording, the pastor was explaining how this has sort of cropped up multiple times, the same angelic choir. Um, now, that is like, I compared that to the Jesus in the Clouds picture, where it crops up thousands of times, all with a different backstory, a different context. And this is basically the same thing. The same basic recording is being is cropping up in multiple places with people claiming that it's angelic. So that, that to me is a red flag for fraud. That's people mm-hmm. using this pre-recorded you know, choir, superimposing it upon their singing and, and claiming it's angelic. The pastor's explanation for it was that, well, God allowed this particular miracle to occur in multiple different places. We, we should pass this podcast off as an angelic recording. We can all just deny ever having made this podcast. Right. Yes. <laughs> 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 the show, and there it was. All done. <laughs> <That's incredible. laughs> Well, which gets to the, the final point, which is EVP of any stripe is utterly worthless as evidence because there's no way to to validate how the sound was placed on the tape. We we didn't yeah. we didn't sing. That wasn't us singing. Okay, you know how do you ever validate or invalidate the, such a claim? Another news item this week: uh, some new footage of JFK just prior to his assassination has surfaced. Now, apparently, there are lots of recordings of uh, of JFK. Just you know, in the in the time before the uh, the assassination, although most you know most people do not think that there's anything really important about that because nothing happened. It was just him sitting in the motorcade. Uh, but this one was donated to a JFK museum, which actually exists in the the book depository where Lee Harvey Oswald was stationed when he shot. JFK. The only thing that's really interesting about this one, so it, it, this shows it's a it's a pretty close up, very high, pretty good quality actually. Um, very clear in focus, very clear image. It's the uh, of of Jacqueline Kennedy and JFK in the motorcade. It's about sixty seconds, I think they said, or ninety seconds before the first shot. 
The, the tape is about 40 seconds long. One of the points that conspiracy theorists have made historically is that the hole in JFK's jacket did not line up with the entrance wound in his back. This tape is from a different angle than the Zabruder film. The Zabruder film is the, the, the famous footage of, of the actual assassination. The people that and, donated this one are George Jeffries and his son-in-law, Wayne Graham. It's essentially though they, hold, they held on to it for so long, for like 40 years, yeah. before giving it up. I think that's strange, isn't it? You'd figure they would... You know, no, I think again, like say, most people figured eh, nothing happens on the tape, so what, it's not of any historical significance. But actually, historians do like this kind of information because it, you never know what details might right. crop up. Right. But the the, again, the only detail that, that people are talking about on this one is the uh, now this tape clearly shows that JFK's jacket is bunched up behind him. So this bunching up would explain why the jacket was the hole, the jacket hole was displaced from the entry wound. And that never occurred to people before that maybe the jacket was a little bunched. Yeah. Well, again, that's when you when you're starting with the the certitude that there was a conspiracy and you just anomaly hunt any little discrepancy. Ooh, the holes don't line up. There's a conspiracy. There must have been another shooter and there was another entry wound or what? The Back autopsy and was to faked. the left. Yeah. Back <laughs> and to the left. Back that's enough. And to the left. Oh God! I haven't yet seen any any conspiracy theorists sounding off on this new footage. I'm sure we'll we'll hear from them if we, if we hear anything time, interesting. We'll we'll let you know. We'll see. I'm sure they'll explain away the the bunch <laughs> of stuff. How long was he shot after that clip was taken? About sixty seconds, ninety seconds. I think. Oh, it was right. It was right before it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, people were taking footage all along the line. You know. Yeah. So he didn't have any time to take off his jacket and iron it. No, no, probably not. Okay, I, I just want to clear all that up before we hear the conspiracy theories come back. <laughs> God. One more quick news item. A couple of weeks ago, about a week ago now, I think, on uh, no, on February 10th in Spotsylvania, um, a very strange, quote-unquote, ape-like foot was found in a dumpster. Initially, the cops thought that this was the foot of a person, and they investigated it as a homicide, but that turned out, Went through case. 127 tons of trash, right. the, uh, wow. the homicide detectives. That's good work, boys. It does kind of look like a homeless guy's foot. <laughs> like that. It does, That's yeah. nice work, boys. <laughs> a lot of barnacle on that foot. Yeah. They were. They were looking for a body. They said, we got to find the body. It came off this foot. Then they x-rayed it, and they realized that it was not a human foot. So as soon as they determined it wasn't a human foot, <sighs> then the, the homicide investigation was called off. But then they had a, a mystery on their hands. This was a, a large, you know, five-toed, hairless foot. So there, apparently there was some speculation that perhaps this was some cryptozoological creature, perhaps a Bigfoot. The article says a couple of Bigfoot websites posted the picture, you know... Looky here, looky here. Although, Perry, you, you, you couldn't find any actual Bigfoot. No, I think that, I think that most of them have come down because I look right. pretty hard. You know, yeah. this news has been out for a couple of days now. And, uh, and The reason why they would have taken it down is because the foot has now been positively identified as that of a skinned bear. Right. Mm. Oh. So right. apparently when, when you skin a bear, you start at the feet and the, the nails the claws of the bear come off with the skin. So what's left Ugh. behind doesn't have the claws on it, which is why it could look like... Right, because they stay foot. with the skin. Yeah, a non-clawed foot. Apparently disposing of animal parts is like a misdemeanor or something, so nobody cares anymore. Yeah, I'm offended that the homicide <laughs> investigation was called off once they decided it wasn't homo sapien per se. 
Well, it wasn't a homo yeah, side, ba- right? It was some other kind of speciest. <laughs> but Rebecca, Rebecca, the bear detectives are on it, so don't worry. They called up the no, bear no, whisperer. Don't, don't worry, he's on it. <laughs> That's Yogi right. Bear is going to investigate it. Might I remind you of the great <laughs> contributions made to our society by bears? Uh, Smokey? Um, that's right, that's true. That's true. There's that panda bear. <laughs> Teddy bears. Ling Ling. <laughs> <laughs> um, hold on, I'll think of some more. The, actually, you're missing the biggest one, which of course is the country bear jamboree. Oh, I knew it. I knew there was one. That's true. The Care Bears? scary mofos. The Care Bears, yeah. See? See how much good bears bring to our society? All Uh, I'm uh, saying is that they should get the exact same treatment as humans. Exactly. (laughs) Is that too much to ask? Well, one more Bigfoot anomaly bites the dust. This was short-lived, this one. Uh, You know, I was hoping. I was was hoping for this one. I was. I thought maybe there was this was a, a Bigfoot foot in a garbage can. I thought maybe, <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe maybe he was hungry, went in there, was, or maybe I, like you know. Oscar, he like lives in a garbage can. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we can't oh find them. What a way oh, for so Bigfoot scary. to be revealed. Where was this dumpster anyway? Is the back of a McDonald's? Oh, Spotsylvania. The place is infested with big feet. Well, what kind of what kind of redneck like that? rolls up to a random garbage can? Like, don't need this no more. And just chucks it in a bear's foot. <laughs> About time I'd be throwing this away. Oh, Maybe man. it was um, a magical bear foot that granted wishes. <laughs> And, you know, once you use it, never mind. Yeah, maybe it's a relic. <laughs> I was going to try to make a monkey paw. Monkey uh, paw, that's right. <laughs> Steve, let me ask you a question. Steve, who would cut the foot off a bear and let it go? Well, if you're making a bearskin rug, you I'm don't kidding. need feet. I'm uh, kidding. Nobody cut his foot off. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> you hear about the uh, three-footed dog goes into a bar, goes up to the bartender and says, I'm looking for the guy that shot my paw. <laughs> I have a better one and a more perfect one. Okay. A bear bear goes into a bar and he goes up to the bartender and says, I'll have a gin and tonic. And the bartender says, why the big paws? And the bear says, I was born with them. Oh, Oh, God. Rebecca, you know what? Rebecca, don't ever tell that joke again. Are you kidding? That joke kills. That joke absolutely kills. This is all premium content. No, you have to leave in my bear one because it's topical. And, and it is it is adorable how terrible you told that joke. So. <laughs> but no, you have to see it because I make this really funny little motion with my hands. It's really cute. <laughs> okay. And it kills. I'll take your word for it. Your emails and questions. Let's go on to your emails and questions. Please, please. This first one comes from Justin Troop from Lancaster, PA. That's Pennsylvania. He writes, Dear Skeptics, thanks for reading my email. I'm a long-time listener, first-time writer. I was at the computer today, and I overheard a commercial on TV for Psychics on Oprah. Being a sane person, I normally wouldn't watch it, but I've grown to love the talk show Psychic bashing on your show. So I was watching the show, and John Edward came on and started discussing his conversations with spirits, energies from the other side. So Oprah chimed in with... I need to be skeptical for the audience. Where is this other side? Well, so he replies with, well, you have to think about it this way. Where is the Internet? And Oprah just goes along with, oh, now I get it. Needless to say, I immediately wanted to rip my hair out. First of all, Oprah is about as skeptical as jello is meat. Secondly, the Internet clearly exists. I can 
prove with a pen and paper, not to mention it physically exists as a joint effort between a few million computers or as some politicians think it as a series of tubes. I'm utterly disgusted that this stuff is nationally televised. I wasn't sure if anyone on the show got a chance to watch it, and I would like to hear what anyone has to say in response to the show. Thanks for your time. Take care. Now, Rebecca, you have some opinions on this, right? <laughs> oh, I have a lot of opinions on this. Jello so isn't meat. It's a one- first, I want to say that <laughs> made from real Jello hooves. is a meat byproduct, so yes. I guess that means that Oprah is a skeptic. Byproduct. I don't think so anymore, Rebecca. I think they actually they don't use no, a, they don't use horse hooves pretty, anymore. I'm pretty sure they do because well, that's a long story. But right, anyway, I think they do. Anyway. <laughs> from algae now. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, Oprah has gone on this this outrageous just crazy streak which is really saying something for Yeah, it's been lasting about 4 shows. or 5 years. <laughs> Recently though, she's she's just gone well, okay, I'm trying to describe it without using expletives, which is difficult for me. She said she's she's egorific. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's gone just, Tom Cruise. I wouldn't go that far. She had John Edward on. Uh she also had uh Alison Dubois, the chick who inspired uh, the NBC show Medium. Um, she she claims to have solved a bunch of uh, crimes, even though she she can't actually present any evidence uh, to back that up. So she had John Edward and Alison Dubois, and then she also had The Secret on. Have you guys heard about this movie, yeah. The Secret? The Secret. I, I'm not telling anyone. Oh my god, they shouldn't have told anybody either. The Secret is that they're all a bunch of friggin' lunatics. Uh, <laughs> they're not very, doing a very good job of keeping that a secret. Um, the secret is, it's the what What the bleep do we know of this year. Basically, they claim uh, that they've discovered a new law of attraction, which is based on the idea that if you think about something hard enough, you can make it happen. Um, and not just you know, the power of positive thinking or, or anything like that. They actually literally think that if you wish for... I, I blogged about this the other day. The example I used was a pony that farts rainbows. If you wish for that with all your heart, you will actually get a pony that farts rainbows. Really? Um, Every little girl's dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was my dream. <laughs> Yeah, they they invoke quantum mechanics, which of course is so. Do they all live in mansions and drive Ferraris? And they do now because a bunch of jackasses are buying their books and movies (laughs) for it. So I guess they're living proof that it works. Is Oprah is Oprah going to have a psychic of the month club? (laughs) Psychic of the day, probably. It's so disappointing to have. To have these idiots resurrected on the Oprah Winfrey show, like wh- well, yeah, you know the the people who did the secret um, include Dean Radin, everybody's huh? favorite. Yeah, 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 yeah. We talked about him just um, last week about the pair research. Yeah, yeah. Right. Dean um, Radin is desperately trying to give sci research um, scientific respectability, but he's failing miserably. Yeah, you you just need Google him. Uh, he's got some pretty far out there. Like sometimes he'll come across as very sensible. And then he just lures you in and then springs the crazy on you. Um, He's got some really interesting stuff out there. Hey, Evan, where's the internet? (laughs) 
a secret. I can't find it. <laughs> oh, Jay, Jay oh, now I get it. Oh, it's so clear. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I love that. That's the that's the skeptical question that Oprah asked on behalf of her audience. Uh, oh, thank goodness she's there to represent the skeptical. Oh, yeah, movement. really. I don't know what we'd do without you, baby. If you go into her website, you can actually take a survey telling them whether or not you believe in pseudoscience. They call it other things. And it's a frightening percentage. I I believe it's like 85% of respondents said that they believe that mediums have the ability to see, speak to, and hear the other side. Uh, and, and something like 95% believe in the paranormal, right? But that's in a general. that's a highly self-selective group of people. So it's not a scientific study. It's really disappointing to me, just because she has such a huge audience, and they are they basically follow whatever she says. I on my blog, I use James Fry as an example because uh, he's he's the writer who yeah. first she had him come on as part of her book club. Everybody loved him. Everybody bought up his book and put him, you know, at the top of the bestsellers list. And then when it turns out his memoirs were all made up, she went on the Oprah went on the attack and all of her audience immediately flips around and agrees with her. Again, yeah. you know, just, just she, she has the power to change someone's opinion, <laughs> you know, uh, 180 degrees. Um, and she's using that power to reinforce this. If only she would use her power for good instead of evil. Exactly. She has so much potential. She thinks she is doing good. That's, that's the shame of it. Guys, let me ask you a question. Is Oprah doing it for ratings or is she a true believer? No, she's a believer. She believes. She's a true believer. She believes. She, yeah. she has yeah. stated a number of years ago that, that she is going to dedicate her life to promoting spirituality. Yeah. Very disappointing. Someone with her power, you know, she could do, she could do so much good and spread a lot of useful information around, but she invites idiots like John Edwards on her show. Amazing. Well, Oprah, we know you're listening, so we invite you onto the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe to engage in a conversation. Have us on your show for balance. That would be Evan, who did you write to? The Discovery Channel recently? Yeah, the Biography Channel uh, wants your, uh, on their their website, they, uh, they want you to take their psychic or skeptic quiz. And it's ten questions, BS questions, basically. Do you believe in spirituality, and what about the other side, and and these things, and and you know, and they they have three basically canned answers at the end when after you're done answering all ten questions, and you're either a true believer, and they and they encourage you for that, or you're in somewhere in the middle, and they say, well, with a little learning, maybe you can become, you know, maybe you'll realize things, and if you answer skeptically, which you have the option to do. Then they say, "Well, you're convinced. You're. Uh, it's good to have people like you out there, but maybe one day you'll be able to see the Silly other side skeptic. of things." And it's just so <laughs> insulting. It's so Coming stupid. From, uh, the biography channel. That sounds funny to me. It's terrible. Yeah, what, what is the biography channel even doing? Peddling this kind of nonsense. What yeah, kind that's of stretch is that? That's well, right. I mean, wh- yeah, that's who rage. are they doing a biography of? Casper. <laughs> well, let's do one more email. Second email comes from John D. Bartolo from New York City, USA, and he writes, Guys, you are such a breath of fresh air. I've been enjoying your current and past podcasts ever since the day I stumbled upon them in iTunes. Why, thank you, John. <laughs> Thanks, John. Now, now for my question. <laughs> I happen to think, as I know you all do, that the Zodiac signs are a pile of crap. <clears throat> now, wait a minute. Don't put words in my mouth, young man. <laughs> How, ahead. then, can you explain the article which I linked to below? Apparently, 
Allstate did a study which searched for correlations between frequency of collisions and the birth date of the driver. As it turns out, Aries is the best sign to be and Virgo is the worst, and all others fall somewhere in between. Aside from dismissing the study completely, how would you explain such a correlation? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. It is perhaps a case of self-fulfilling prophecy. Thanks for the podcast and keep up the great work. Steve, Well, would, yeah. d- doesn't somebody have to be the worst and somebody have to be the best? Like there has to be, the statistics have to exist. Yeah, so what, what so I, I don't think that John's uh, suggestion that this is self-fulfilling um, is correct because then like everyone would have to know that, oh, I'm a Virgo, I'm supposed to be a bad driver. And I don't think that that information is sort of widespread. Uh, what th- well, this is what we call data mining. This is the cornerstone of astrological pseudoscience, is looking at huge sets of data and then mining it for correlations. Then what they do is they make a classic statistical error, is they, they um, analyze the statistics of the correlation as if they were looking for it ahead of time. In other words... Here, you might say, okay, we looked at thousands or whatever, tens of thousands of accidents, and we found that you know Virgos were some percentage more likely to get into accidents. And because of the, the huge numbers of people that you're looking at, the, it might have an extremely high statistical significance. I mean, we talk, again, we talked about this last week with the, uh, with the pair research, you know, assigning uh, statistical significance because of, of, the, of the use of large numbers. But that is, this is a different mistake what they're making, what the, the astrologers are making here, is that what, what they're failing to do is to consider all possible correlations that could exist. Now, if you look at all possible correlations, what's the chance of any random correlation occurring to this degree? It's actually good. I mean, you would actually expect it, that there would be these correlations. So that's the difference between predicting ahead of time Virgo should be bad drivers and then looking to see if they are. If that, if that were true and you found that Virgos were bad drivers to this degree, then that would hold some statistical significance. But just mining for any correlation and finding one, you can't do the same kind of statistical analysis. That's a, that's a total statistical fallacy. And that, again, is the cornerstone of all of, uh, of astrological research. And usually when astrologers say there's evidence from you know of correlation that astrology is true this is what they're referring to this kind of data mining it, it's all completely invalid but steve somebody had like i was saying before somebody one of the 12 signs has to be the worst driver statistically yeah. right if you just right well you would yeah and you would expect it within a certain degree of I, I can't. I don't know the words. I didn't study statistics. There'd be a certain uh, amount of variability. Yeah, you're not that's gonna, a good word. It, for it. it would be. A, it would be <laughs> incredible if they were all exactly the same. That would be a coincidence. Gee, if they're making the mistake in this kind of correlation study, imagine what else. What other kind of studies they're doing that they're also misinterpreting the data. Well, oh, this or, is this is all of astrological research. There's the so-called Mars effect, which is the same thing, uh, where those who were born on the start of the sign of Mars allegedly had, I think, more a greater chance of being professional athletes or whatever. But you know, who but who would say ahead of time that that's the correlation that you would see? No, you couldn't predict that. They're just again looking for any correlation, any sign with anything. You know, whether and you just look at enough variables. You'll you'll find a correlation. It's also it, you know it's if you I was reading a little more in this article. Um, other countries have done the exact same study and come up with completely different results. 
Right. In, in right. Australia, it's Gemini's and uh, uh, Britain, it's Leo's and Brit. Uh, the British different set of constellations down yeah, there. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's all, it's all stupid. So you wonder if the actuarials aren't going to change based on your zodiac. You know how much you pay for your insurance. Guy says, "Why did they do this? Why did Allstate bother to do this?" And they said, "We're looking to put together. We were looking to put together a fun ad campaign that would interest consumers uh, and make people think about what they were doing behind the wheel." I'm a Virgo, so I have to remind myself not to turn around and talk to the kids until we're at a stop. <laughs> That's that's their explanation about why wow, they, brilliant. they really bothered to do this. Helpful. I'm a Libra, so I'll stop doing my toenails on the way to work. <laughs> Thanks, Allstate. <laughs> now, but you do bring up an, an interesting point that if when you do find correlations like this, you can use that as the starting point for later research. You could say, okay, now I have a hypothesis that Virgos are bad drivers. Now let me look at a completely independent set of data and see if it gets if it gets duplicated. And of course, when you do that, as you say, like let's look at our Australian data or whatever, it turns out the correlation doesn't hold up. But astrologers make a yet more subtle statistical mistake. What they do sometimes is they say, okay, let's look at another 10,000 people. And then they pool that with the original data. And the original correlation that they found through data mining gets, gets carried forward in the later analysis. Right, so they include the original data in the later analysis, and you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that either. That, so you'll also sometimes they'll falsely say that the correlation was later validated, but it actually wasn't because they 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 made they cheated basically by including the original data. It has to be a completely independent data set. So in this case, of course, it hasn't been validated because astrology is not real. <laughs> One guy says in the piece, I think that this has as much value as correlating uh, your driving exposure to what baseball team you like. Right. It's the same thing. you could thing. find correlation. Uh, same thing. Now here, now Jay, you sent me this article. This was uh, a commentary. Uh, this is actually ABC News Technology and Science. This is a commentary by Lee Dye called Do Libras Live Longer? And he actually, it's a very good article where I think this, the Canadian group did a study looking at uh, the same thing, looking at zodiac signs and, and health uh, issues, and they found that they were they found correlations all over the place, and they basically did it just to demonstrate how by using data mining you can ba- pretty much find whatever you want. You you can if you mine enough data, you can look for any correlations you want to see. So wait, did uh, they find out that Libras live longer? Yeah, but again, they found, that was Steve, one I of need the to know only when they're <laughs> also vegetarians. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So actually, okay. I, I'll have the link to this article too. It's actually a good explanation of why data mining is BS, and 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 kind of keep an eye out for it. It's it is it very frequently crops up in in pseudoscience, so it's something worth knowing about. Well, we have the next installment in the Amazing Meeting Five Tam Five interviews. This week we have an interview with Julia Sweeney of Saturday Night Live fame and with Richard Wiseman, a psychologist and science popularist, and finally with Scott Dickers, the editor-in-chief of The Onion. Well, we are hey, sitting here with okay, Julia sorry. Sweeney. <laughs> sorry, I'm just like rambling okay. on. No, no, no. I'm starting. Just figured our listeners would like to know who they're listening to. <laughs> so this is Julia Sweeney of SNL and other fame. And we, yes. we appreciate you spending some time with us for sure. taking your time away from TAM5. 
uh, and you are going to be putting on a, a you're talking or you're putting on some kind of show tonight yes it's fun? so I should really go work it out before tonight <laughs> it's no, still that's how much it's not worked out sit here and it ramble an it's show. really uh, Jill who's the most amazing musician Jill Sobule she sings these songs that are among the best songs ever written, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And then I go up and try to tell funny stories in between them. And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it isn't. And sometimes I have something to say, and some things I don't. Are they related? Are, like her lyrics kind of working with Yeah, like saying? I say, this reminds me of this. And then okay. it's that. And I assume it's it's like uh, most of your, your comedy, and the reason why I love your comedy is that it's all stuff from your own life. And it's you're just going up and you're telling hilarious stories is that and not always hilarious well, well and, <laughs> I try to that's heartbreaking yes. too well, <laughs> and, and sometimes just boring so like she has this song Heroes it's a great song um, why are all our heroes so imperfect and then she goes through all these people again for our listeners for some background why is Julia Sweeney at TAM 5 what is your connection with all of this I'm not sure if I started at TAM 3 or TAM 2 I think it was TAM 3 um, so I've been here for all but one Nice. And I am a skeptic, I guess. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that after. I didn't know I was on the skeptical path. Here's your label. I know. <laughs> and then um, I started going to lectures at Caltech that Michael Shermer puts on. And that's mm-hmm. when I just learned that people could organize themselves under a word like skeptic. And then through people there, I found out about TAM. Awesome. So that's how I came. And I love it. You are always a highlight. Uh, like Just hearing the men talk about you <laughs> with the with the little heart bubbles <laughs> around their, their head julia <laughs> they adore you oh feel so popular and, and it's true so i wanted to ask you so what was your life journey towards skepticism when did you become a skeptic well i i think i just did it on my own i started looking into religion when i was about 38 i had this what I thought was a religious experience that was very um, profound and it was really helpful to me and I thought God mm-hmm. I mean I wasn't like a crazy person <laughs> I didn't have one of those crazy my God was so amorphous that he was in the realm of reality mm-hmm. no. um, <laughs> um, it was just a feeling of being at one with the universe and that everything was going to be alright and there was someone looking over me I had this very distinct experience it wasn't a vague feeling it was a specific feeling and it was helpful to me in this personal crisis I was in. And so I, after it was over, I just thought, what was that about? And I just fo- started following it. And See, it, in my field, we call that a seizure. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I found out. That's right. That's actually right. It was Is probably it a mini seizure of the right temporal lobe. Oh, I got it right. Induced by enormous <laughs> stress. Good guess, no. That's what I've learned. He's yeah. a doctor. I've had patients who've had <laughs> profound religious experiences yeah. during a seizure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have them without that. I didn't mean to imply that. It's always a case, but... Yeah, and I find not, that incredibly yeah. interesting. And it made me rejoin the Catholic Church, but then that made me take a Bible study class, and then I started learning about the Bible, and then I spent a whole year just studying everything about the Bible and just decided that it was incredibly interesting and compelling, but not based on um, you know truth. It, it, you know, it was just more of historical religious literature mm-hmm. that was interesting and had some good advice for living, some, but it wasn't, I couldn't believe in it like a religion, and then I just thought I believed in God, and then I tried to be a Buddhist, and then I spent time in the East, and then I thought that was as filled with as much pseudoscience and craziness as any else, and then I thought I would be with Deepak Chopra, and then that led me to a quantum mechanics class, and then that was junk, and then I finally just gave up on the whole idea of God, and then then I started to go, oh, because in the journey, I read Michael Shermer. It's really Michael Shermer. Wow. The answer to that. So he gets to, the short answer is he gets the, he was your... He, he is it, because I read um, How We Believe. Skepticism, basically. And I yeah. bought How We Believe. I always remind him of this. I bought How We Believe because the 
title and the book looked like it was positive about religion. Uh-huh. <laughs> he tricked you. That's why. And then when they did the, when they came out with the paperback version, it was an obvious skeptic book, and I don't know if I would have. That's read interesting. It. That's interesting. So I read How We Believe, then I listened to him on the book on tape version, and I was just like. This man is a god to me. I just loved... I had a new god. Quite sure. No, I just thought he was so amazing, the way he looked at things. I never had thought of looking at things that way. It was the beginning. Then I was doing... Occasionally, I would appear on Politically Incorrect, Bill Maher's show, mm-hmm. and they asked me to come on to talk about who was the historical Jesus or something. And they said Michael Shermer was going to be on. So I agreed oh. just so I could meet Michael Shermer. Yeah. And then I went and he said, well... We became fast friends. It was a good experience doing the show. And then he said, you know, I have these lectures. You should come and hear these lectures. So then I started, and that's when I realized there was this whole community out there. Yeah. Right. And I always like asking, you know, those one or two actual uh, people in the entertainment industry who are skeptics what that experience is like. Because from, from looking in from the outside and from those people who I've spoken to on the inside, it certainly seems like you're in the vast minority. In terms of people in your profession, is that your experience? Yeah, I think that um, it's true that people who are in highly competitive and random fields like show business tend to be more religious because they, I just find people in show business, actors, I should say, not writers, or Mm -hmm. not on the business side, but really the artists, actors, they don't really get anything out of critical thinking. They don't need critical thinking for their job. You know, like, it doesn't behoove them to be good critical thinkers or scientific mm-hmm. thinkers. Also, one of the reasons they're good at what they do is because they have a rich fantasy life. They can believe things. So why wouldn't they just believe right. other things? So I think they tend to be more um, susceptible to buying into things. So I think there's a reason why there's so few. But then on the other hand, I think a lot of people just don't think about it. Mm-hmm. And they, I think most people are like my mother, even though I love my mother, but she believes what is advantageous to her to believe. I think a lot of the people I know in show business believe what is advantageous to them to believe. I think that's why the Scientologists, like that worked for them, that helped them. So they believe that. The whole idea of show business isn't that invested in truth. It's invested mm-hmm. in fantasy to right. begin with. Right. You know, so it just isn't a very fertile ground for skepticism. Yeah. Which is too bad because they're also creating a lot of popular culture right. and they reinforce this idea in the in it. And that's disappointing. Like I mean there's some like T V actually does a better job with critical thinking, I think, than mainstream movies. But like that movie that just came out, oh my God, Polar Express. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's Spielberg, isn't it? And Tom Hanks. Yeah. Like, these are people who just know better. Mm-hmm. They should know better. And they make a whole movie, and the theme of the movie is just believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just believe. <laughs> right. But the worst was like, Signs, I thought. You said oh, yeah, Signs. Oh, my God, terrible. Level, I was level. so angry after that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I left that theater <laughs> just livid. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's like, um, and the... We, we also look up to um, movie stars and TV stars, and and people tend to take after their, their personal lives, too. We follow right. their personal lives, and to see, you know, the, the Scientologists, and, you know, it's just so refreshing to have somebody that is in the public eye that we can look up to as somebody who is a critical thinker. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> There's probably more of us than you think. It's just like a lot of people aren't going to be so outspoken about it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then a lot of writers, like, I know, like, the entire staff of The Simpsons are all atheists. I mean, like, yeah. if you're not, you are endlessly chided until you quit. Like, <laughs> right. or you're, at, like, they are so outspoken. Like, I mean, George Meyer and Patton, all those guys mm. 
are really major skeptics. See, that's why I think television's a better source of skepticism, like yeah. CSI, The Simpsons, South um, Park. South Park. South Park. Yep. Like, it's actually, there's something about television that it's more... It's easier to slip things in. Yeah. yeah. They, embed yeah. It, they embed it, the messages, yeah. in, in, right. into their show, make it so entertaining. People don't even realize it's they're like, getting educated it's at the like same the time pill. they're being right. entertained. The pill right. and the brownie. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> Um, have just a couple of quick follow-up questions. Have you had any run-in with Scientologists when you were, first of all, when you were in your seeking phase, when you felt you needed some answers? I mean, that's typically when Scientologists, but Scientologists would sort of prey on people. You have to have no scientific, <laughs> not even scientific, you have to be subcritical thinking to even <laughs> begin to go into the Scientology. I mean, even as a person who wanted to be Catholic and tried to be Buddhist, I wouldn't be a Scientologist. I mean, those people, that's... <laughs> That's even insane. At your low point, even I mean, like, really, point, I have some standards. When you did your, your, uh, your role in Pulp Fiction and you, and you did the scene with, with uh, John Travolta, yes. were you aware of his, uh, of his Scientology no, not really. at the I was, time? I didn't really. I think I had heard that rumor, and I just didn't, you know, I mean, I was with him for a day. <laughs> but, um, and it makes me sad. To think it's such, um, it's like a virus. It, it really is like a virus in Hollywood because it can snag people who want to be like big stars that they've heard talk about it. There's so much money to be made in it. I mean, they make them audit, audit all those courses and then they pay money for the courses. And then people just, they're really just kind of getting a personal coach, barely. Mm-hmm. And then they're paying a lot of money. I would say for all the people that it helps, there's, you know, 3,000 that it hurts. Yeah. So on balance, it's detrimental, but there are those shining examples. But that's true in any religion. Yeah. Well, Julia, this was, uh, this was a great time. Thank you so much yeah. for spending oh, thank some you time so with much. us. It's yeah, such we're going to have to have you on the show yeah. another time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Cool. Yes, thank, thank you, right. Julia. Well, Richard Wiseman has graciously agreed to sit down with us for a few minutes. Richard, thanks for taking time out of your TAM meeting to, uh, to chat with us. Pleasure. So you're, you're, you haven't spoken yet. You're speaking later today. What are you, what are you going to be talking to us about? Uh, I'm going to be talking on a number of topics. Uh, I'm going to be talking about my psychic dog investigation, mm-hmm. the uh, world-famous psychic dog investigation, where I investigated a dog that claimed to be psychic. Mm-hmm. We did other people claimed on, 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 on behalf, behalf of the dog, of the dog right. yes. Um, so, so that would be pretty incredible in and of itself if the dog were it making... Was, it turned game. out to be a talking dog, but not a psychic one. <laughs> right, right. Um, that, that was the, uh, uh, the remarkable part of it. Uh, so we'll be doing that. And also uh, a test of financial astrology, mm-hmm. where we, we pitted a financial astrologer against an investor, uh, against a five-year-old child, and mm-hmm. we gave them each £5,000 to play with, invest on the stock market, and uh, we, we mapped their progress mm-hmm. with okay. the child winning, hands down. <laughs> awesome. Right. Yeah, right. it was good. <clears throat> Yeah, we've actually written about that in the past, and it's all, the stock market is basically a random system. A- a- absolutely. You can't predict it any more than you can predict the weather. That's so. it. But the financial astrologers are making quite a lot of money by saying they can look at the um, data formation of companies mm-hmm. and, and uh, predict their, their well-being uh, from that moment on. But it turned out they, they couldn't. Do they track the company's star charts from when they were born? That's right. Do the the <laughs> data formation. I that, was joking. Exactly, no, that's what they do. <laughs> and therefore they tell investors when's a good time and a bad time to invest. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, so yes, it's uh, it's it's big business. So you, yeah. can't, you can't make jokes about things like astrology because it's more absurd than your parody of it. Right, right. Yeah. Like when we we you found can stop out about that sentence after the word jokes. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's clever. I saw what you did there. Yeah, That's right. cute. Very clever. Um. <laughs> and uh, I'll just carry on. And on, um, yeah, also talking about the um, the search of the world's funniest joke, uh, which was a, a huge <laughs> internet. Experiment did you find it? Uh, we, we found one. I'm not going to tell it, uh, but uh, I, I should be talking about the, uh, the uh, hilarious <laughs> adventures we had trying to find that joke. Mm. Where, where did you end up finding it? Um, it turned out it was my next door neighbour uh, had got it in London. <laughs> How uh, so he'd been holding on to it for a while. Oh. And um, yeah, it was, it was quite bizarre. Interesting. <laughs> You were chatting with us just a little while ago that you're, uh, you're, you're working on a project with the BBC coming up? Uh, yeah, indeed. Uh, very exciting. Uh, a lot of my work now is about putting science and psychology in particular uh, on television. And so we have uh, just heard that the BBC are going to commission a very large series uh, which looks at psychology in a very sort of natural kind of environment, so taking camera stunts and, and so on. So I should be going back to the UK and starting to get ready for a very busy filming schedule. Wow. So it's going to be sort of the psychology of Candid Camera? Or? It's, it's that kind of thing, yeah. I mean, maybe not quite as surreal as Candid Camera. I mean, right. I'm a huge fan of Candid Camera. Yeah. It's fantastic. But the, the, the thrust of it is really to get people interested in psychology and just saying, look, you know, in your everyday lives, uh, you're queuing in a supermarket or, or whatever, there's a massive amount of psychology going on. Mm -hmm. you know, what happens when people start to abuse the, the rules that we all live by by pushing into queues and right. what's the most successful way of doing it and so on? So it's almost like taking an anthropologist view where you're just sort of hiding in the bushes and observing what people are doing, but, but creating some kind of Creating. I think the situation. key thing is creating um, yeah. is, is that psychologists like to, to kind of experiment uh, mm -hmm. with these things. So we'll, we'll be asking actors to do various things and uh, seeing what happens. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for that. That sounds really Should fascinating. Be Should be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm curious, how, how much of your time do you spend doing doing this versus... Do you have a different... Doing this? Doing, 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 doing very little. It's only the second time I've been on the show. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Do you have a nine-to-five, or do you, are you are spending all of your time doing shows uh, and... Uh, well, I'm in a very fortunate position of, of uh, the university is, is very supportive of mm, yes. uh, what it sees as kind of communication work. So my nine-to-five is, is... Some of it is doing proper psychology research that right. you sort of publish in academic places. And then the other half is, is doing... Uh, going out giving talks, doing shows, doing stuff with the TV, and, and getting the word out there. So it's, it's a very fortunate position. So they're, they're happy to accept what you're, what you're doing on the side as the public understanding of science. And that, that, that's right. that as academic work. That, that's right. In, in fact, there's a huge push at the minute uh, in, in the UK to get more academics doing this. Yeah. Because of the, the, certainly in the, the case in the UK, it's like in the US, is that really your job is to teach students and to do research and if you do do communication mm -hmm. stuff you go and talk to the public that's something you do in your own time right and so the push now is to make it part of the job yes and 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 so it's for the most part we're spending taxpayers money of the research and so we should be telling them what it is we're doing yeah no i i heartily agree with that and in fact in the u.s those of like me and michael Shermer and would like to have that happen too but we've been unsuccessful in sort of getting the academic institutions that we work for to sort of accept all this time and effort we put into promoting the public understanding of science absolutely, as part yeah. of our job. They're like, we're happy you're doing it, that's wonderful, but it doesn't count for anything yeah. academically. You still have to do all the other it, stuff. I think it needs to be a top-down initiative. I mean, yeah. the, the, the new one uh, from the government in the UK uh, is, is really uh, for this kind of beacons of public engagement, where it's mm -hmm. saying certain universities should really be associated with communication-type activities. Right. Right. Uh, and that's, that's coming from the government. And I think that's, that's exactly what we need to do to free up academics, to tell them this is a key part of what it is they yeah. should be about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it should come from academic institutions as well, too. I think 
there's still this sort of parochial notion that dealing with these sort of issues, especially when you get to the more fringe issues, which we, we deal with a lot, is somehow tainted and dirty and real academics, real scientists don't popularize and, and don't deal with these fringe ideas. So it, I think that's contributed to this widening gap between science and public understanding. I'm glad that the UK is taking an initiative. I'd really like to see universities though recognize this is a key part of their role and they really have to value it. Well, and, and particularly the public, the people paying for this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and so they should be, understand what it is that scientists are doing and indeed be given a say in what it is that scientists do. And, and that's a very alien concept to most mm -hmm. academics, that they need right. to say to the people that uh, are giving them their hard-earned cash, this is what we do, do you think that's worthwhile? But that, I think that's exactly the level of engagement that needs to happen. But that can only really work in a situation where you have a generally scientifically literate public. A absolutely. I mean, there may, even when you have a scientifically literate public, there may be some um, unpleasant surprises in there. That the public would say, look, you guys are doing this and we don't want you to do it anymore. We don't find that interesting and worthwhile. We'd rather you did this. I do think that it would, it, one thing that definitely would help, I think a lot of scientists also forget that science as an institution survives on the goodwill of the public. Mm. That erodes when they don't understand what we're doing. That, that's yeah. right. Or, or see scientists as, as kind of inhuman, who right. don't care about right. the, the, the world. Then suddenly they're going to feel very uneasy about what it is the scientists are doing. So I think the, the human face of science, which is a key part of the communication initiative, is absolutely crucial. They're mm -hmm. saying scientists are human too, and they care, and they're fun, and they're interesting, right. and all of that. They're not you know, the inhuman robots in white coats that people right. often think they are. The Hollywood mad scientists that's, or geek scientists, where basically they only have two models. You're either the mad <laughs> scientist or you're the geek scientist, and that's, that's it. That's all Hollywood really, that's right. really knows. That's right. And, and, in, and in fact, there's, there's a lot more going on there, and the more we can get scientists as real people out there in the popular culture, I think the better it will be. I also see that as a role of skepticism, scientific skepticism, is where sort of science going into this breach of dealing with the the, uh, the dirty topics of the paranormal and pseudoscience and fringe science and things that the public is obsessed and fascinated with these things and the media loves it and scientists don't want to touch it so there's this huge gap and that, that, to me that's my vision of the skeptical movement is stepping into that gap I, I think that's absolutely right I mean most scientists don't deal with these fringe areas at all uh, they don't understand them it's, it, it makes no impact on their academic career and, and so I think there's a huge hole which is that the, the public know about telepathy and mediums mm -hmm. and so on and the science people are going, look, it just doesn't exist, but we don't do anything. We don't do any research at all. Yeah. We've just made up our minds about it. And I think that's an enormously bad advert for science. So I think right. if, the, if it was publicly driven, you would see a lot more research going in that sort of direction because this is the stuff that interests people. Right. And that's why we're here at the, the Amazing Meeting 5, right? I mean, this is all about science and the media skepticism and the media, which a is absolutely. what we're all engaged in. And that's what the talk is going to be about. I mean, I'm talking about the, the, the way in which the media represents paranormal claims, but also how we can get skepticism on the media. I mean, the search of the world's funniest joke was still about experimental methods. It's still mm -hmm. about how you would look at the psychology of humor. We had one and a half million people take part in that experiment and that hopefully wow. they will think more positively of science and scientists because of that experience. Yeah, very, so good, very good way to reach out to people. Definitely. So, so that's, that's, that's what it, it's about. It's, it's, it's about reaching out to people who wouldn't normally uh, get involved in any science activity and maybe their only experience of it was at school where they're told, actually you're not very good at science mm -hmm. and they have a very negative view uh, emotionally of what it is to be involved in an experiment. Well, Richard, it was wonderful talking with you. A Thanks pleasure. For with Thank us. you so As much, ever. Richard. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you. Look forward to your speak later.
So sitting with us now is Scott Dickers, who is the editor-in-chief of The Onion, which, in my personal opinion, is the most hilarious and funniest uh, satirical newsletter on the, the internet or perhaps anywhere. Steve, you are too kind. And how did you describe it earlier, Steve, right before we were recording? Was that um, there was, effing hilarious? There's a couple of expletives in I there, think? yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> Which our listeners aren't used to hearing to you say. with a uh, potty mouth. It, America's it, finest news source is what we call it. Right, right. And, 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 and modest. Very true in many, many ways. For those listeners who may not know, The Onion is a an online daily uh, newsletter or, or newspaper. Well, there's uh, a print edition still, too. There is. Right. It started as a print edition. Oh, actually, I was not aware of that. In 1988. Wow. And, and it went it online, online in 1996. Yeah. yeah. I was only familiar with the online version, but it's completely satirical. Is That's that right. accurate? Yeah. But, but in being satirical, you're obviously shining light on a lot of the, the, the foibles and, and absurd aspects of life in general and people and politics and society. Yeah, we were just trying to be funny yeah. in the early years. And uh, right? I made the mistake of hiring writers who were really, really smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. so they get bored just doing, like, jokes. After a while, jokes feel pretty empty and you have to start doing satire you have to make jokes that have some kind of deeper meaning or some sort of um message and obviously you don't want to get messagey mm-hmm. but you do this for 18 years like we've been doing and your jokes have to have a little more meat in them to really satisfy so you started out just wanting to be funny and it just sort of evolved into this sort of political satire yeah we endorsed bobby the brain heenan for president in 1988 <laughs> and as a wrestler uh, uh, of wrestling fame folks for those who don't <laughs> that's know. the wrestler uh and it, you know it was decided that because of his intelligence he would be the most qualified intelligent you know the most qualified wrestler we named the san diego chicken man of the year uh in 1990 <laughs> those sorts of things not exactly brilliant satire but we were having fun <laughs> You cut out for a while, and then you recently cu- came back to The Onion. Yes. Um, what, what made you decide? What was that all about? Well, I left uh, to make a couple of movies, mm-hmm. and I was doing that on my own, and just as a matter of personal pride, I wasn't like using my connection with The Onion to try to get things to happen, like I wasn't you know, making The Onion Presents, you know, whatever movie, and it was hard. <laughs> it was hard to make movies without that, so... Um, when The Onion asked me back about four years later, they were at a point where they were making movie deals and they were doing TV, so it was an opportunity to do what I had wanted to do anyway, uh, but with some help. But I kind of like starting from scratch. I like being the underdog. When The Onion got really popular in the late 90s, because I sort of felt like, well, what's what's the challenge now? It's not like we're trying to build anything, you know. It was like we had arrived, you know. Yeah. We got, we got the exhausted uh, portrait in The New Yorker, and, you know, we've been on... CNN. I mean, it was it was uh, starting to feel like no fun anymore. You know, it wasn't it? Wasn't you did it. It was done. We had achieved every possible goal we could have ever possibly imagined. Mm-hmm. Stephen Hawking wrote us a fan letter. You know, it's like, <laughs> all right, I'm go. quitting. Uh, the article about Harry Potter um, that that ended up being taken seriously by I don't know thousands of fundies. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little? Was that was that on your that watch? That was not on my watch. No. Okay. I don't know that much about it. I mean, I obviously was in touch with all of them. Uh, it was kind of fun actually to be just a reader of the Onion for that time, right? Because uh, I would just see it in the newsstand and I would maybe read the headlines. I wouldn't read all the stories. It was great. Was and like, it's, it's well, it's like a monster that you made. Mm-hmm. You know, it must be odd to see, it. and suddenly that this thing that you started as a joke is now being taken seriously. I think everybody who has a fifteen-year-old child understands what that's like. Right. I also noticed, like, after 9-11, we were talking to, to others about 
how that affected the media, at least briefly. If I recall, The Onion was sort of one of the first outlets that actually produced a humorous content after 9-11, about 9-11. Right. And if I recall, the headline was something like, uh, the 18 9-11 hijackers shocked to find themselves in hell. Right. <laughs> but I think it sort of highlighted for me how, how effective humor could be, because it, it seems to me that one of, the, one of its ways in which it is very effective is that it's completely disarming. You know, it's like you almost... You can't be offended because it's all funny. If it's funny enough, you could be you could say anything if it's funny enough. That's true. Uh, it is a pretty miraculous um, medium, humor. <clears throat> I've thought a lot about this, and I don't know if uh, this is going to get too technical or too boring, but I've thought a lot about like what laughter actually is. It's, it's a response to some kind of external stimuli that the brain can't process, and so you sort of have this like involuntary reaction of, of laughing which is very similar to uh, crying because there you're, ha- you're having an uncontrollable involuntary response to stimuli that you can't really process. Um, it sort of overloads your circuits in one way or another. Um, the two are very close. Like if you, if you start laughing too hard, you start crying, and if you start crying too hard, you start laughing. We've, we've often found that some of the saddest things make the funniest articles. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were doing our book, uh, our Dumb Century, which was a uh, collection of front pages from The Onion from beginning of the 1900s to the year 2000. It was when America was having the most trouble that we were finding the most uh, meaty material for satire. The 30s were such a great meaty decade to make fun of. So many tragedies like the, uh, the Titanic or <clears throat> you know the Hindenburg or Vietnam or even like the shuttle disaster in mm-hmm. 87? Was that 86 or 86? 86. 86. 86. That, those were like the thing, you know, when there wasn't really anything happening, when it was all happiness, like in the late 50s, it was like, what do we, what do we write about? There's, there's nothing going on, you know? That comes back to another uh, theoretical thing about humor that I've thought about that I think it started as a, a Mel Brooks quote, and that is that uh, it's a formula, uh, comedy equals tragedy plus time. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if, if you fall in a manhole cover, that's hilarious. If I cut my finger, that's a tragedy. Right. So at The Onion, we always tried to experiment with reducing the amount of time or distance between the tragedy and the comedy to see, you know, just sort of play with that boundary and see what happened. And that book was a really interesting experiment because when we did the Titanic, nobody's offended. People who suffered from that have long since been dead. And then, you know, you get into the 60s and then it's Vietnam. It's like a little more sketchy. You're making fun of that stuff. And then the shuttle disaster is 86. 9-11 was like the real test. It's like, okay, two weeks after 9-11, we're going to do this. Because... We really, at that point, had been hardened to this idea and kind of knew what the boundaries were, you know? And we knew that humor actually was a really important part of the healing process. It wasn't just just a juvenile response, you know, to something. Right. It actually could be helped. Because it purged us. Like, we felt better after making jokes about certain things that were really painful or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and it was. It was uh, a way of, of, as you say, purging uh, some of the real anger and hatred you had towards the people who did this and mm-hmm. sort of fantasizing humorously about them suffering in hell. It was actually yeah. a cathartic experience. Mm-hmm. Almost as funny as the story we did about Mother Teresa in a wacky afterlife mix-up being sent to hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you ever read Christopher Hitchens' uh, book, The Missionary Position? I read that book. Yeah. Uh, that's why we wrote that story. Nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as... <laughs> From my point of view, I read things like that, and I think, oh, I hope they meant it, <laughs> you know? And it's, yeah, it's yeah. really nice to, to finally meet you and hear from you that, yes, you meant it. You meant that one. That's, that's awesome. <laughs>
Um, she's a horrible, horrible person. She's, she is a, a terrible. <laughs> if that wench. book is to be believed, I assume it is. I, you know, I've, I've I've read up on it and I followed up on a few of his Good sources, and it it definitely seems. Give to us the, to, to the readers, the, the listeners, sorry, the nugget of what the story's about. She's only interested in uh, proselytizing to these poor people, and she gets millions and millions of dollars from from really big donors, and could use them to feed people or build hospitals, but just doesn't do anything. All she's interested in is converting kids to uh, Christianity right before they die. Yeah, right. there's no accountability. Mother, Mother Teresa. Teresa. Mother Didn't Teresa. she die? Y- yeah, I think uh, yeah, she's dead. Yeah. 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 I was wondering why you were talking about her in the present tense. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so she, her hospitals were, uh, I, and I believe her hospitals are still out there and being funded, right. and they're, they're pits. And, and speaking of, uh, like, the, the, the poor and starving, um, the, the Onion even tackles uh, big social issues in such a, a hilarious way. What one that sticks out for me for some reason is um, the point counterpoints, which I'm not sure if uh, guys do those anymore. Point was, um, oh my god, I am so hungry. Uh, by, by some you know rich Californian girl or something, and then the counterpoint was. Oh my God! I'm so hungry. <laughs> by poor starving orphan in in Africa, <laughs> and, and and it's things like that, and it's just so heartbreakingly hilarious. <laughs> Our next book that we're finishing up now is um, it's called Our Dumb World. It's the Onion's Atlas, seventy nice. third edition, and we cover every nation on Earth in great detail with maps and information about the countries. There was so much material there. Yeah, because there's so much horror. We really we didn't have a clue how bad most everyone else in the world has it until we started researching this book. Oh, yeah. So if you like that kind of humor, there's a lot more coming. Bring a lot it of on. starving Africans. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so it's just, you know, uh, unusual statistics about It's a political countries. atlas. Yeah, a political yeah. atlas. <clears throat> like, like how many people are dying of starvation in this country, things like that. But jokes about that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Scott, it was really a uh, pleasure talking with you. Thanks for giving us some time. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks thanks so for much. having me Thank on. you, Scott. All right. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Take care. You too. It's time for Science or Fiction. Each week, I come up with three science news items or facts. Two are genuine and one is fictitious. And then I challenge my panel of skeptics to tell me which one is the fake. And you all can play along. Wow, this sounds interesting. This is the first time I'm playing this. Before we get started, I have some follow-up from last week. Oh, yeah. Clean up the mess, Steve. Come on. Oh, yeah. Follow-up so, from last week. Here we go. There was, there was some uh, contention over the fact that one of the items was um, that chimpanzees have been found to be crafting and using stone tools, which was fiction because they've only been shown to be using stone tools, not crafting them. And, Rebecca, you took exception to yes. that. Yes. Now, I actually emailed the uh, the author of that article, and they have yet to respond to my email. Nice. Therefore, there shall eternally be an asterisk <laughs> next to that. No, no, no. They're too busy grooming each other. But I did. I did <laughs> they responded to your Oprah novella. Original article published in Science Magazine. And it is very clear what, what the chimps were doing. They were selecting stones and using them to crush nuts. The, the use of the stone tools caused um, them to become encrusted with some of the material from the nuts, and there was some incidental flaking <laughs> from the stones. Are you telling me they were crushing nuts and then they got encrusted with stuff? And then there were in- and then there was incidental flaking. <laughs> That's the incidental flaking on the nuts. On the nuts or off the nuts? I don't even know why we're was talking the, about was this. Was the flaking on the nuts? <laughs> was the material sticky before it got hardened, or I'm just? 
curious as to the exact nature of the... But there was no crafting or modifying of these stone tools whatsoever. Okay. Now, a couple of the secondary sources that were reporting on There's this... There's Steve, unshake, unflappable, straight right through. There was some further evidence. rather sloppily use the words tool-making interchangeably with tool-using... But that uh, was an er- that was erroneous, essentially sloppy reporting. So when the monkeys were using their tools <laughs> <laughs> to crush their nuts, <laughs> to crush the nuts, chimps are apes, not monkeys. Come on, yeah, come on. You, want, you really want me to get thirty emails correcting us on that? What is this, the Los Angeles Zoo? <laughs> so clearly, clearly, I was totally correct, and Rebecca, you were wrong, and you have to acquiesce on this point. Asterisk. <laughs> I'll continue so, to contest, contest let's, the point. Let's go on to uh, to this week's science fiction. You all ready? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, four yes. minutes. All right. Yeah, number one. <laughs> number one. A new study finds that older adults make better eyewitnesses in that they have a more accurate assessment of the accuracy of their own memories. Good Lord. Item number two. New research shows how bacteria can be used to protect buildings from earthquakes. And item number three, a new study demonstrates for the first time that some birds are able to anticipate future needs and plan accordingly. Oh, please. <laughs> Evan, go, go first. I don't know. I don't like the birds planning accordingly, but I think that's... Nobody does. It's scary. <laughs> I, would like, I would like to think the first one is, or the older adults, better eyewitnesses is uh, fiction... Uh, I'll go with that one. I, I think uh, I think that's fiction that older adults are, make better eyewitnesses. Okay, Perry. Yeah, the uh, first one I don't like it because it's a big, long, convoluted uh, mess. You know, eh, it's just their own memory. That sounds that's, that sounds like nonsense. Uh, bacteria protecting sure. Bacteria can do anything, and uh, <laughs> anything. birds. Birds planning ahead, absolutely. Every, every time they see a monkey, they plan on getting their asses kicked, and that's that's basically accurate. So the, the first one's nonsense. Okay, Jay. Uh, I I don't remember reading anything about the bacteria, um, but I'm going to go with the adults. I'm going to go with the adults having better memory. Well, you said, Steve, that they, the adults actually are better witnesses because they can more accurately remember things. No, they can more no. accurately assess the accuracy of their own right. memories. Older adults. I want to go with that one as the fake. Okay, Rebecca? I agree with the peanut gallery. I think that wow. uh, adults are not as good eyewitnesses. Okay, so you all agree <laughs> that new research shows how bacteria oh can be used to protect buildings from earthquakes. Yeah. Oh, that's... <laughs> of course, of course. Please. And that one is science. I told you, bacteria can do anything. That's what we told you, Steve. Yeah, bacteria are pretty amazing things. So yeah. they yeah. they use bacteria basically to to convert a sandy or loose soil into into solidified rock. So you can there use you it to go. stabilize the base basically below a building so that it'll be more resistant to falling down in, in the case of an earthquake. Mm-hmm. This is yeah, that's how New York City works. That place is crawling with bacteria. This is research being done at UC <laughs> Davis. They literally, the article says, microbes can literally convert loose sandy soil into rock. Very cool. Amazing, amazing. That is cool. Amazing. You all also agree that 
a new study demonstrates for the first time that some birds are able to anticipate future needs and plan accordingly. I read that. Now, now prior to this research, lie. this has only been demonstrated in humans and chimps. But now, huh. birds birds enter the very exclusive club of animals that can actually look into the future and plan for future needs. This study was done with the what? the western scrub jay, a very intelligent bird. The scrub jay. Yeah. Scrub jay. Sounds like uh, a real winner. Just like our jay. I was actually looking for the Florida scrub jay when I was down in Florida, but I didn't see any. I heard of them. They're very, no? very rare. Oh, this is the western scrub, scrub. jay. Scrub. scrub jays. <laughs> What they did was they um, each morning they would fill two chambers with uh, either one with food and one without food, or they would fill them with different kinds of food. And then the night before, they would give the birds the opportunity to hoard food, and they would hoard food based upon what was going to happen the next day. Uh, uh, so they they clearly they made decisions they had really no no reason to make otherwise based upon their anticipation of what their needs were going to be the following day. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. it's a pretty elegant experiment. Pretty clearly shows that they were changing their behavior based on what they anticipated was going to happen. It's the first time that evidence has uh, has come to light. They realized the monkeys were sneaking and stealing their food at night right. with their tools. Right. Now, I had to. I had to include that to balance out the chimp piece from last week with the stone tools. So what that means, of course, that you guys are all right this week. Hey, so, hey. I'm telling you. Do I get extra credit for answer week. for being correct first? No. Yeah. New study finds that older adults make better eyewitnesses in that they have a more accurate assessment of the accuracy of their own memories. That's false. That is fiction. In fact, the opposite is true. <laughs> they not only have worse memories, they have a higher, their higher confidence in their mistaken testimony. Right. So they are actually have a higher level of confidence, but a lower level of accuracy. So they make terrible witnesses. Back in Ot Four, we used to wear an onion on our belt, <laughs> <laughs> and we'd call nickels bees or nick nickels. <laughs> what the hell, Simpson? You done? <laughs> so yeah. you guys all got that correct this week. Of very course, good. yay! Makes up for last week where you all got it wrong. That's true. Except Bob, huh? <laughs> That's true. Except for Bob, who's not here. Sorry, Bob. You missed the chance. Yes, I need your answer for last week's puzzle. The answer to last week's puzzle is, in fact, it is the axial tilt in degrees of the eight planets of our solar system, starting with Some Mercury. Some people got that, right? Yep, yep, beginning with Mercury. And actually, uh, Mike from the message boards, uh, we all know Mike, actually got that quite quite quickly. So I was pretty impressed. Good work, Mike. In fact, somebody mentioned it was only two minutes after Steve posted the podcast. <laughs> and there were people complaining, give us a chance. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they were like, you well, you know, they right? actually brought up a good point that Mike might be just pulling the puzzle off of the notes and not actually so? listening to the whole show. So I might, maybe I won't post the the puzzle mm. right after I post S- that's the That's sneaky. Uh, oh, the oh, no, Steve. Oh, Steve, you need to post a fake puzzle. Oh, well, I can't do it now. No, no, no. No, you can do it now because by the time he hears this, it'll be too late. No. He'll <laughs> have already true, answered true. the fake puzzle no, that you put on the notes it. page. And everybody that's listening now is laughing because they know that Mike answered the fake puzzle. <laughs> okay. Without listening. That's it true. Is brilliant. You could wait until two minutes after you put it up, he'll answer, and then one minute later, you could say wrong. Yeah. On the, right. on oh, the forms. Be, that's perfect. Okay. Yeah, that's good. It's decided. Well, Evan, what is the real puzzle for this week? Okay, this week's puzzle. It's a it's a poem I came up with. So 
I hope you all enjoy this. Of course. Of course. I'm sure you do. <laughs> because I do not hope to know this mystery at this late hour, because I do not think. Because I shall not know, once thought to fuel this power, was alcohol, which I cannot drink. Because I cannot know why it doesn't happen to tree or flower, perhaps this bad habit is the link. Because I refuse to know, my impulsive human reaction seems dour, and whatever bits remain, boy, it sure does stink. What on God's earth am I possibly describing with this poem? Very good. So enjoy, Have you been everyone. Peyote. <laughs> no, but those mushrooms growing out in the backyard were—I knew it. Were interesting. Evan, you, you missed your opportunity to rap a song. Always a rap. I'm, look, 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 look. I—I I, I know I owe everyone a rap. For some reason, I don't know how I got suckered into that. It's my fault. The rap will be coming later this year, so for those of you on the edge of your seats for that, stay tuned. <laughs> it is coming in uh, in a few podcasts. So can't wait. Okay. Steve, I have a uh, sounds good general announcement. Okay, uh, hit it. Yes, uh, Mike from the boards has absolutely stunned us by by creating a fan site for us. Oh, yes, he awesome. has. Yeah, you guys saw it, right? Yeah, it's great. It's uh, sgufans.net. Uh, it's it's basically sanctioned by us, right? We all agree to it. We love it. We think it's great. Um, I also like to mention that uh, Iron Man did some of the graphical help on the uh, on the site. I think he he basically just did the the top banner for him, which came. Yeah, you know, it's very flattering. And for those of you who don't regularly read the forums some of the people on there are very talented oh yeah so if they're if they're on display over at this other site you should go take a look at what's them. the domain again sgufans.net that's great and also don't forget itunes everybody if you want to put up a review for us if you enjoy the show please do oh and jay what about the uh we, we're also adding a, a link so that you can dig our episodes oh that's right i added uh last week i put in um i put in a link on the home page to dig so you could you could go and dig our site uh basically it's just a you, those of you who don't know what dig is, it's basically just a way to uh, to add your single vote to what content you like on the web. I've been me- also messing around with adding it in on the archive, so you can like vote on our our whatever particular episodes that you like as well. So look for that in the future. I'm still working out the the bugs. On yeah, that. I mean, some people have been doing that on their own, but we're going to try to facilitate that. Uh, if we get enough people, say, voting for our epi- an episode of of the Skeptics Guide on Dig, then that could actually get ranked pretty highly. And that could drive a lot of traffic to uh, to our website and to the show. So that's a great way to help spread the word. There you go, everybody. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of ways to be involved. That's right. <laughs> we appreciate everything that you do. Do we still try? We're up to about thirteen thousand five hundred now. Our, our listeners uh, up from about ten thousand at the beginning of the year. So we're, we're our audience is growing steadily, and we we greatly appreciate it. Uh, keep those emails coming. We always appreciate them too. We need constructive feedback, news items. Wacky stuff. Send it all to us. It, the more stuff we get, the more stuff we have to pull from to uh, to put together our shows. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, Bob usually sends us a quote each week, but Bob is not here, so we don't have a quote. Sure. All right. I'll give you a quote. All right. Actually, it's an astrology quote, which right, I thought it. was appropriate. Aquarius is a miscellaneous set of stars, all at different distances from us, which have no connection with each other except that they constitute a meaningless pattern when seen from a certain, not particularly special place in the galaxy, here. That's Richard Dawkins.
Richard Dawkins, right. There's just so many ways that you could diss astrology because it's just so silly. <laughs> it's just <yeah>. vacuous. <laughs> Nobody does it like Dawkins. <laughs> astrology is as vacuous as the space it worships. <laughs> Perry DeAngelis. <laughs> Perry, though, it's quantum mechanics, though, Perry. Quantum mechanics is, makes it all yeah. real. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks, everyone, for joining me. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Doctor. Until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by the New England Skeptical Society in association with the James Randi Educational Foundation. For more information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at www.theskepticsguide.org. Please send us your questions, suggestions, and other feedback. You can use the Contact Us page on our website, or you can send us an email to info at theskepticsguide.org. Theorem is produced by Kinetto and is used with permission. Problems, proof, endless delays.